so it's craziness. But uh, but welcome to uh, to Galaxy's podcast. And I want to make sure I'm saying it right. Is it Drea or Dre? Drea. Drea. Okay, I was getting it right. Good deal. Uh, we are so excited to have you come to that expo this year and uh, and be part of it. And what I wanted to do through this was kind of acquaint uh, our folks that may not know you with who you are, talk some about your military background and your transition, and then what you do now uh, as you have transitioned into your next phase of life. Does that sound fair? Yeah. So I saw in your bio that you enlisted post 9-11. Is that accurate? Yes. Um, I graduated high school and went straight into a junior college. I'm from California, so everybody here pretty much goes to a junior college first, just because college out here is so expensive. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I went to class, everybody was crying and I didn't understand what was going on. And they explained to me about 9-11. And I was on the track team at that time for college, and a bunch of people just started enlisting. And I was like, wow, that's really honorable of them. And I had always considered joining the Marine Corps. I was born at Camp Pendleton. My mom and dad are both former Marines. My mom's a retired gunny. Um, My husband's a Marine. Like, my grandfather was in the Army. He was also in the Bataan Death March. Like, my whole family i had i can name like about 20 people that served active duty not just reserves but active duty in the military um and so it was always something that i was like well maybe i should do my part next because at my um my cousin's level everybody kind of just stopped and so i was the first one from my age group to actually go into the military and my sister followed after me about two years later Did she also go into the Marine Corps? No, she went into the Army. Little family rivalry going on now? A little. I mean, we still love her, but it's just, it's just, um, we like, it's kind of like speaking a different language. It's like, I don't really understand how she gets promoted versus like how we get promoted and where she gets stationed versus where we get stationed. It's kind of a different language. I mean, it's all the same thing. Yeah. Um, when I see uh, when I see a, an E three in the Navy, I think they're an admiral, an admiral yeah. because of their uniform, right? I have yeah. no clue. And then the the ranking of their officers is like sometimes I'm like, oh, you're a colonel. That's not the same as a colonel in the Marine Corps. So okay. Um, <laughs> so I ended up joining um, 2003 after I got my degree, and then I traveled back and forth across the U.S. for about a year um, just because of training. I ended up, like, boot camp was in Paris Island. Then you had to go to MCT, which was in Camp Geiger. Then you have to go to your MOS school, which is in Pensacola, Florida. And then- And for those non-Marines, what's MCT? Oh, Marine Combat Training. It's three weeks mm-hmm. of all the fun stuff. It's like <laughs> we get to play with all the grunts size weapons that we're, we never get to touch or see ever again after. Because um, for the Marine Corps, we always use the M16A2 service rifle. Now it's the M16A4. But when I was in, because I'm old, it was the M16A2 service rifle. And at MCT, we got to play with, like, the 50 cal, the grenade launchers, like, all the big 
fun, fun, fun stuff that mm. boom. Um, we got to play with all that stuff. So that was three weeks of fun. And then after that, I went to Pensacola, Florida, Florida, where I learned how to work in aviation. I was an aviation electronics technician. Uh, that was like seven months. And then the hurricane hit and they sent me to Oceana, Virginia, where I had my specialized school. So that's where I learned how to work, not just in aviation, but in the radar component of a bird or a fixed wing aircraft. Um, and so from there, I got my orders to Miramar, was in Miramar for about four months <laughs> before I got orders to Japan. And then I was in Japan for about seven months. And then I back to Miramar for about two months before I got orders again to a boat. Um, I was on the USS Nimitz. And then when I was on the USS Nimitz, I got orders to Fort Worth, Texas. <laughs> so that's why I, <laughs> I finished my um, enlistment in Fort Worth, Texas. Well, I also saw that you were a mixed martial arts instructor. Yes. So <laughs> I am very, uh, very curious about things. It's like, oh, that looks easy. That looks easy. Let's try this. Why not? And so someone asked me if I wanted to be a martial arts instructor. And I was like, sure, um, it'll get me out of work. And little did I know I would end up dropping 15 pounds in a matter of weeks. Like it was like two, the whole course itself was like a month. But in these two weeks, like the first two weeks are pretty much like hell week. You are exercising for about 14 hours a day. Um, you're exhausted you have to learn all this book knowledge because they want you to be like well you know the military everything's well-rounded so and well surprise marines can actually think i know people don't think that we're very bright but we are some of us um <laughs> so i became a green belt martial arts instructor and then someone was like well i'm a brown belt so am i higher than you even though i'm not an instructor I was like, okay, if we're going to start the, am I allowed to cuss? Because I cuss a lot. So I'm sorry. If I... That's quite all right. Okay. Quite all right. So, you know, Marines shit talk a lot. So I turned around and became a brown belt martial arts instructor. And then they wouldn't let me be um, a black belt MAIT, which is a martial arts instructor trainer. Um, because I would have to re-enlist and I was like, mm, I don't want to re-enlist. And like, well, we'll give you your, or we'll let you go to training. And so I ended up not re-enlisting and not getting my, my red tab. Mm -hmm. Do you still maintain that? Do you still uh, do mixed martial arts? I have a couple of times. It's more Filipino, um, style. Cause I have a friend that teaches it. Um, so it's more like the, the bamboo sticks. Um, I don't know if you're familiar ah. with it, but there's like, um, the stick that has like slits in it. So when you hit somebody with the slit, it'll pull their skin off. So it's <laughs> like, no, like if you were to look at it, you'd be like, okay, it's a stick versus a knife. But if you get hit with that stick, it pulls and rips your skin open, which is way deadlier than, or way more painful, I should say, than someone with a knife that's like only two arms length away that can't reach you. So. Yeah. Um, wow amazing yeah so how long so you didn't want enlistment was that four years sorry it's a plane what was that uh you did one enlistment was that four years i did one enlistment but then i switched into the reserves um ah, and then when okay. i was in the reserves 
I ended up becoming a range safety officer. So I would run the ranges at um, Miramar. I, they sent me back to Miramar from Fort Worth when I joined the reserves. And so I was at 16 in Miramar for a couple of years and just ran the range and my unit. And Miramar is where the uh, Navy Top Gun School used to be, right? It's closed down now, is that right? Yes, but I think they're moving it back. I'm not positive. Well, Tom Cruise is back, you know, and he's still a captain, so why not? <laughs> just... <laughs> yeah, that whole trailer just seems weird. <laughs> right, right. That should be fun to watch, though. Yeah. So in your transition, um, how well prepared were you for your transition? And what was it easier, do you think, because you went, into the reserves as you transitioned or did it make it, did it make it more difficult or uh, talk a little bit about that process? I don't believe that my transition was smooth in the slightest. I had a very amazing, highly paid, specialized um, job career when I got out, which was lovely um, because you always want to, my, obviously since my parents were both Marines, they wanted me to have an MOS that was able to transition into the civilian world, which everything's going to aviation anyway. So it was a great choice at the time, but nobody knew that when I was going to get out in 2008, that there was going to be the recession. So finding oh, that was, was the perfect storm, right? Yes. It was, it was just like completely impossible to find a job at that time. <coughs> Excuse me. And, um, Nobody was hiring. It was before the post 9-11 GI Bill. So it wasn't like we were able to go to college and get paid that way. We still had to wait a couple months before that kicked in. And so I was stuck moving back home with my parents, which is fine because my parents are amazing. And my mom talked me off the ledge so many times. She was like, don't worry. It happens. It's not. It takes forever to find a job. And so I think if I didn't have vets as parents, then I would have been stressed out of my mind and I would have just ended up going back in the military enlisting right away because there was nothing. There was, nobody was hiring. Everybody was just trying so hard to stay afloat themselves. Um, so my parents um, pretty much told me just go to school. And so I went to school and then like halfway through my bachelor's, the 9-11 could kicked in and so I was able to start going to school full-time and I ended up moving to Los Angeles to finish my degree. I have uh, have a ton of associate's degrees. I have like about uh, five or six associate's degrees because I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do and then I ended up getting my bachelor's in aviation um, and then my master's is in producing. When you say bachelor's in aviation, uh, like in planning or in flying or what's aviation what, what is um aviation sciences so like um engineer work so for, okay uh, yeah i could work in engineering for aviation and then your master's again was in what <laughs> a totally different field it's in producing um i went to the american film institute um and i got my master's degree in producing so i am excellent at spending money <laughs> and that turned from uh like engineering aviation to producing so was there an event that happened or uh pretty much when i was in living in los angeles 
there was a, a vet. His name is Kyle Hofstetter Stokes. Um, he cast me in one of his commercials. And it turned into be a nationwide commercial. And then all of a sudden, from there, it turned into billboards. And from there, people started recognizing the billboards. And then I, it just like kind of snowballed. Because in when I was a martial arts instructor, we would make training videos. Because not everybody can make it to training because of work and work comes first. So we started making videos of each technique. Um, so I learned how to be in front of and behind the camera. Really green. Not really knowing what I was doing. But then after booking with Kyle, I ended up booking... Um, a commercial with Jeep. It was a Super Bowl commercial. It was when Beyonce first had her first Super Bowl halftime performance. Uh-huh. Um, and then the commercial after that, like it cut to black. And then all of a sudden you hear Oprah Winfrey talking and her quote like goes across the screen. And then it's my face. And I <laughs> lost it. <laughs> like, never in my life have I ever dreamed of being in a Super Bowl commercial. Um, so <laughs> especially one with Oprah Winfrey. So sure. it was it was just the biggest blessing I've ever had in my life. So now how many people think that you and Oprah are tight and they want you to introduce <laughs> you? To- <laughs> you know, there, there's actually a lot of weird questions that I get for um, some of the work and pro- projects that I've done. Um, but the, the bad thing was my dad didn't see it. He left to go to the bathroom. So he didn't see it. <laughs> Like, he saw it in recordings and, like, playback, whatever, but it's not the same thing as, like, seeing it live. When it happens, right? Yeah. So, from there, that commercial snowballed into a Pepsi NFL kickoff commercial. So, needless to say, I'm a huge football fan now because (laughs) they have, like, paid my living out here in L.A. for the past 10 years. So, um, and then from there, I just started moving on to um, television because, like, it's one of those things where you always want to work with the people that you love and the people that are fun because you're on set for, like, 12, 14 hours a day. You don't want to be stuck with people that are boring. So I ended up getting called onto set for one show after another, um, and then it fueled my fascination to be behind the camera more. So then I went to AFI. What a cool story, but to, to be able to kind of discover your passion and then follow that professionally. Yes. Not everybody gets to do that. Everybody should do that. No. A lot of people, a lot of people stop along that way. And because they feel like they have to, uh, you know, do something to make money, they never break out of that and actually go follow their passion. Well, it's, it's extremely hard because you're going from the military where you're guaranteed a paycheck and you know that like by this time next year, I'm going to get promoted. By this time next year, I have to hit this step, this step, this step, and then I'll get promoted. So by 20 years down the line, I know that I'm going to be a sergeant major of the Marine Corps or whatever. Sorry, that's a little ambitious. But you're going to be somewhere. I have been in L.A. for 10 years. My husband and I have always had a roommate because it helps lower the cost of your living and it, it just makes it so much easier to survive. And a lot of people weren't willing to do that and they're no longer in the industry, no longer living in LA. But all the people that I do know that started off when I started off that are still hustling and still grinding and still making huge strides in their careers, they all have roommates. They all have like side hustles. They all are doing whatever it takes 
to make sure that they can stay in the game and stay competitive in the game. Because there's a lot of people that are claim to be in the game, but they're not actually getting anywhere. They're not progressing because they're not doing what needs to be done. Um, and so my core group of friends and I, we've discussed this so many times. We're like, we're going to do this and we're going to do this together. And funny enough, they're all veterans. And so we've all had like that same mindset that we're going to like have each other's back and make sure that we all get to the end together. Now I, I live in Texas uh-huh. and, and California is a little bit different than Texas. So different. Californians are moving to Texas. Yes. But one of the things that, uh, you know, is a perception at least over here is that the overall state of California might not necessarily be super friendly towards veterans. Is that, is it your experience that, veterans are treated a little differently there or is that a fallacy or what's your take on that? I would agree with that statement. Um, Mm -hmm. Like in Texas, everybody's pro, pro guns, pro vets, pro America. And then when you come to America or (laughs) (laughs) California, (laughs) sorry, you know, we think we run everything. Um, Mm -hmm. Then when you come to LA, it's everybody has this idea that, Oh, you're a vet. You must be mentally ill. You must have come up from a poor upbringing. Um, Your parents must be crackheads. You know, those things that like, those stereotypes like, oh, you had to join the military because you're too stupid. Or you couldn't do anything else. Yeah. Like you had no other options. Where for me, I, I had three other colleges. Like I was accepted into UC San Diego, UC or Long Beach and um, UCSC. And so it's like I was accepted into... I was actually going to go to UNLV, but I was too rowdy when I was younger. So it's a good thing I didn't go to UNLV. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that's a segue. Um, so no, people are not as supportive. Like they'll always say, thank you for your service. As like, hi, how are you type deal? Or God bless you. But not in a, in a way that Texas does. Yeah. Well, that's too bad. Well, what do we have to do to change that? the topic of a whole another conversation um so, so tell me now about uh, in the work that you do now producing acting uh talk about if you can some of the projects that you're doing now what's coming up in the future for you oh awesome um so i am currently uh working at the writers guild of america um i just finished their veterans writing program last year they have a veterans writing or hold on let me get the title Writers Guild Foundation Veterans Writing Program. So what it does is it helps veterans tell their story. Because a lot of times we have Hollywood telling our stories and you're watching these things and it's like, for example, the Top Gun story. How is he still a captain and still allowed to be in the Navy? (laughs) That's not possible. So they put on this, it's a free writing program. People from across the U.S. come to this um come to the Writers Guild one weekend and they learn how to write, get, they get partnered in groups, and then for the rest of the year they get mentored by these professional writers that help you write your story and then you get to pitch your story to the industry. I know so many writers from my group that have pitched stories to HBO and they got called in for pitch meetings and so now they're at this HBO level pitching their stories and making their stories happen as opposed to waiting for somebody else to tell their story. So, oh, that, is, that is so important. That is awesome. Yes. And it's that, free. That's out there. It yeah. Is, that is. 
it's pretty cool. amazing and it's completely free i want to stress the free part i mean you have to make your way out to la for the weekend but after that you could do everything else via skype or phone t- phone whatever um, are there restrictions is it must be post 9 11 no no it's every any veteran, veteran. Well. any veteran that wants to tell a story so they obviously have a selection process because they can't take everybody that applies but there's right. usually about 30 people that apply um and this year every year it's been roughly equal men and women but this year i think there's only four women out of everybody like there were just no women that applied this year um, which is kind of sad because I feel like our stories are the ones that haven't been told the most, um, like at all, pretty much, especially not from a female point of view or perspective. Um, so, Chris- you know, I can't, I, I really can't think off the top of my head of any movies that have, other than like uh, Courage Under Fire, right? That, yeah. that have told the story of a, of a female in the military. I, I, I can't. Very, very few that come to mind. Yeah, um, there were <laughs> there were two that just came out that crashed and burned. The the one with that Mooney Mori whatever sister, the redheaded one with a dog, and that was the only reason I was going to watch it was because there was a dog in it because I can't stand those sisters. <laughs> um, yeah. And then the other one was. Um, Oh, I can't even remember what it was, but it was another non-vet told story. Um, she it was, she was a mom and she deployed, but the story itself just didn't really make any sense. So those are the only two that I know of that have recently come out. You know, there's a good one that uh, this it's it's within the last I think five or six years. It's called uh, Fort Bliss. I think I think the name of it is Fort Bliss. I'm not positive. Uh, Michelle Monaghan is the star of it, and uh, and she plays. Oh gosh, she's. Uh, I don't remember. I think she's uh, an army like MP. Gets sexually assaulted, and and goes to uh, report the guy that did the sexual assault, and he ends up going on a patrol the next day and getting blown up and dying. And so oh, then she, she it, it kind of follows after that as she tries to deal with that, uh, you know, post him him being killed, yeah. and uh, and it's really pretty good, but it's it's not uh, like a true story, right? It's made yeah. up, yeah, and it doesn't have veterans that are really starring in it. So yeah, what what you're talking about? That's uh, I really like that. Yeah, there's um, actually some of the things that we've discovered out here. Um, now that we're talking about L.A. being vet friendly, you actually have a harder chance playing a lead character as a vet if you are a vet, because then they don't look at you as an actor. They look at you as a veteran. <laughs> and so that's why when you see television shows where a lot of these actors are not vets and have no idea how to hold a rifle or shoot a pistol or anything, it's because when we go to audition for these things, we have to not show that we're veterans and not promote that we're veterans because they tend to think that we don't know how to act and that we will just be difficult on set and make everything everyone miserable and there was yeah there was actually a time that I was auditioning so auditioning for a a marine corporal I think it was something like that for a, a television show and the direction that I got was 
a Marine wouldn't sit like that. I was like, what? And she's like, <laughs> Marines don't act like that. They act like this. And I was so dumbfounded because I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm acting like me, who is a Marine, but I guess the perception <laughs> of the Marine Corps is different from, like, there's so many female Marines that I have friends with that when we audition, they're like, you don't really look like a Marine. You don't really come off as a, a female Marine. And it's like, well, okay, but I am. <laughs> so, like, it, right. it's so bizarre sometimes. Well, um, if you can, I'll put you on the spot here. Think of two or three things, Drea, that uh, in, if, when, if you were to talk to a Marine leaving the military, what would you tell him or her to do? What, what advice would you give? Um, find your, I, I think that like the trending word the millennials are now saying is find your village. I feel like that is the most important thing because it's so, those first couple weeks, you're like relaxing. You're like, oh, this is fun. I'm going to get fat. I'm never going to run again in my life. I'm going to bleach my hair some bizarre, absurd color. I'm going to like paint my nails. You like have all these plans set out that like are completely stuff that you're not allowed to do in the military. And then all of a sudden it's like, you look around, it's like, you're, you don't have like your friends that you see every single day and you don't have that consistency that you're so used to after five years of active duty. So I think the important thing was find your, your village, find those, those vets that understand what you're feeling and what you're going through because you can explain it till you're blue in the face to a civilian and they won't understand. They will try to understand, but they will not understand. Um, my second thing would be don't jump into the GI Bill because your master's degree and your doctorate are expensive. <laughs> so if you're using your GI Bill for your associate's degree at some junior college, you're using it wrong and you're going to run out unless that's that's your overall goal is to only get an associates then that's fine but if you if you have aspirations to become something more like a bachelor's or a master's or a doctorate I have a lot of friends I have three actually that have their doctorates and no student loan debt they were able to work it so that the military or their veteran status whatever paid for um, their doctor schooling. Um, so one is a, a surgeon over here at the, the VA hospital. Like, it's just incredible. Like, if you have the right guidance along the way, you can go so far with just serving your two or three years in the military. Like, there's so many benefits. And I guess my third one would be to learn all of those benefits and stop spending your own dime for something that the government has allocated to pay for you on your behalf. There's my husband, actually, for one, he dislocated his shoulder in the military um, doing McMap, uh, martial arts instructor trainer. And so his- well, Was he up against you? Did you do that to him? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I should have, but no. <laughs> um, and so he didn't deploy to Afghanistan or Iraq. And so he has like that, well, I'm not a real vet because I didn't deploy to combat type mentality. So he refuses to get his shoulder fixed. 
and now when he's trying to like move up and stuff his arm his arm still like pops out and so he has to go back and get surgery but since he didn't want to document it in the military and after the military like when you're doing your taps and stuff he didn't want to document any of that so now we're stuck paying for it out of pocket um which is fine because he has a great job but there's he should still go back and try and get that recognized he, as a service-connected injury. He should, and trust me, no. I have yelled at him for the past ten years, and he just no. won't do it. So, yeah, some people don't be stubborn. I guess if I could throw in a fourth one, it's don't be stubborn. I well, I I'm I'm in there with him because I and uh, when I turned fifty-two, I had total right hip replacement. Yeah, and, uh, and the entire time I was infantry officer in the army. And the entire time. The last several years, especially, I served in a ranger battalion, and it's very high impact on your body. And I had hip problems then, but I didn't talk about it. I didn't report it. I didn't. Yeah. Nothing in my medical records indicate that I have that. And then over the years, it just eventually got worse and worse and worse until it, I had no cartilage left. Yeah. And one, one side's perfect, the other side, no cartilage left. Yeah. And that's not normal for somebody that was in my age. So yeah. you know, clearly it happened, and it's tied to that, but the VA doesn't. Um, but that it, it's important. Anybody that's out there that hears this, it's important to get all of that stuff documented. And, you know, if the VA turns around and, and awards you a disability rating that you don't think that you earned, then donate that money to your favorite veteran nonprofit. Yeah. Right. Every time that every month that if you get a hundred dollar check from the VA, then go donate it, but make it do some good, but don't just ignore it. Exactly. And one of, the, one of the things that I think we all as veterans have to do, is we have to use the VA system because we have to understand it so we can help other veterans navigate. Mm -hmm. And if we don't go there and the service that they provide to a veteran that really, really, really needs it is crappy, then we don't know that. But if we go there and we see substandard service, now we can complain about it. We can make a stink about it, especially those of us that are more educated or have more resources or connected. You know, I am because I'm a former army officer. I'll go straight to the director of the hospital and I'll register a complaint. And I know other veterans that were lower ranking enlisted. That's too intimidating for them to do. I'll help them do that. Right. Yeah. If something like that happens. So we, we have to help each other. But going back to your three, thank you so much for sharing those. The first one is is geared right towards the heart of what we try to overcome. And that's moving towards isolation mm -hmm. because when you run into obstacles, when you leave the military, you tend to isolate because you don't want to act like you have a weakness. Yeah. You don't want to admit that you're failing at something. And so you isolate. Oh, and Also, a lot of guys don't have the best experience when they're in the military. And they assume that the same experience that they had in the military is going to come over into their civilian life. So they don't want to mingle with vets. They have that anger from the military with every single veteran. And it's not the case. Like so many vets have been the most amazing and supportive people in my life. Whereas like the Marines that I dealt with, I dealt with some pretty crappy people. And that like kind of gave me that. But once you, once you find- I have, uh, I have somebody that's coming over here. I didn't think that our conversation was gonna go quite this long. Um, Hi, come on. Let me finish up a real quick phone call here. And uh, that's Snickers and that's Bruce. And uh, <laughs> Andrea, sorry about that. I thought okay. we'd be about 20 minutes. So I have 
have a, a new duck sitter that's just popping in to meet my animals here. So I'm going to be gone next weekend. Um, I am so excited about you coming to Vet Expo. Uh, you know, it's coming up the end of October. Simon Sinek's going to be at our Friday night banquet, and you're going to be on stage with us on Saturday, and uh, it's going to be exciting. So part of this uh, interview is to get the word out and uh, get more people to come. So uh, sure, I'm looking forward to meeting you in person. I am so excited about this, and I'm so grateful Daphne introduced us. Yes. Andrea, thank you. I'll be in touch with you again soon. Yes, perfect. Thanks. All right. Thank you. And we say, uh, be brave, be bold, and be good. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye.